0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ and today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at kalamunda.church. Wonderful. I'd like to echo the welcome that's already been extended. If you are new here, welcome to Kalamunda Church. Welcome to our family. We are so glad to have you. And again, if you are part of the furniture... Yeah, sure, why not? (laughs) We're all just here for the coffee afterwards anyway, aren't we? No, not at all. My name is Luke, if you haven't met me yet, and it is my privilege and honour to bring the Word of God to you this morning, to continue the summer series that we've had, which hasn't, at least I wasn't told of a strict theme, but in January it is inevitable that we seem to address ourselves to things of uh, refreshing, things of change, things of looking ahead to the future, dreams, aspirations, resolutions, which seeing as we're most of the way through January, I'm assuming all of them are already broken. I know mine are. Has anyone still got a resolution intact? No? Did anyone? Tom's got a resolution intact. Do you care to share? I have not yet spared. Ah, It's a good one. See, it it says something about a person that that had to be a resolution in the first place. (laughs) No, but it is a symptom of January, of the new year, that we uh, reflect and look at ourselves. And I don't need to tell anyone here that I'm sure each of you have at least one thing that you would like to improve, whether it be Something inward, like a character trait, or, or a way that you interact, a, a bad habit to kick, a good habit to gain, or whether it be something more external, like developing relationships, developing spiritual relationships, uh, being healthier, getting educated, furthering your career. There's always something for everyone that we would, you know, like like to improve a bit. I don't think that's a shock horror statement to say. Um. It's just getting it to work that's the hard part, right? Who has heard the saying that it takes 21 days to form a positive habit? Has anyone heard that before? Does anyone know that it's not true? Yeah? (laughs) Apparently, that statement came from a cosmetic surgery paper published in the 1960s because uh, this surgeon, this doctor had noticed that like, if someone had a smashed up nose in an accident and they would had a nose reconstruction, it usually took them at least 21 days to get used to their new face. That's actually where that came from. In 2010, a bit more recent, the European Journal of Social Psychology published a study where they actually tried to, to test how long it took people to... F- form a positive habit, and then how long it took until that became natural. And their figure, there was a range, as there is in any study, and people are all different, for sure, but their average was 66 days, which feels a lot more my speed. Like, 21 days, it just never seems to work. I get there, and it's just, no, no it's not good. But 66 days is a long time to try and stick to a habit to make it become natural. That's a long time. Again. All the way through january and my resolutions already kaput so <laughs> but if in this season the start of the year we find ourselves or at least i find myself inclined to look towards positive change and enacting positive change how do we see that come to pass under god And how do we see that come to pass, when we find it's not all too simple, and it's not all too easy? In Romans 7.15, Paul writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if that isn't true to life, I don't know what is. Because that is me, in a nutshell, most days. We have all these dreams. Some of them are grandiose and out there. Some of them are simple. Like, you know what? I'm going to make the bed today. Does it happen? Maybe. And again, the fact that it's a maybe, just like with Tom's resolution, the fact that it's a maybe speaks for itself. <laughs> and we all have things like that. And Paul says, but what I hate, what th- those things that I know to avoid, those things that I'm trying to pull myself out of, those are the things that I find myself doing. This morning... I believe God wants to champion your positive change. But the trick, or the truth, probably more accurately, is that the change belongs to him and not to us. He is our empowerer. He is our strength and our shield. And we are clay in his hands. Does that mean that we have no part or action to play in furthering our journey, our relationship with God, or becoming better Christians, better people in whatever form and vision we see. No, of course we have something to play in that. Of course we have actions. But we must remember where our power and our strength and our victory come from. In Isaiah 64 verse 8, it says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And when a potter is moulding and working the clay, it is better if the clay is not already baked in the kiln, hard and durable and immovable. It is far easier for the potter to use the clay and to shape it according to his or her purposes if the clay is soft. And so my sermon this morning is New Year, Soft clay. With the idea that I'm going to explore aspects, some of them probably pretty obvious, but it's always good to be reminded of even that which is obvious. And of aspects of how we can be soft clay in the hands of the potter this year, so that we might walk in the steps that he has planned for us, and perhaps at the end of the month or the end of the year, find ourselves closer to him, and improved and refined as Christians, as people, that's the plan. Shall we get into it? Okay. So, first up, and this is very important for me to say first, first up, being soft clay is a post-production. Being soft clay is a post-production. This is very important. Because God has already won the battle. Jesus died on a cross to set you free from sin so that we might have eternal life. And that is nothing that we can earn, but it is a gift of his grace. And so as I talk here this morning, and perhaps some of you have already gotten some, some suspicious thoughts in your minds, like, oh, we're talking about improving ourselves, we're talking about being better, doing better. It sounds a lot like, Salvation through works. Oh, I'm not doing that, <laughs> rest assured. And that's why I want to start here to say we have been saved. That is not something we earn. That is not something we strive towards. That is a position we act from. That is our foundation, our basis. And so I need to clarify, if you are a born-again Christian, you do not need to work and change In order to be saved. Jesus has done that for you already. If you are not a born-again Christian here in this place this morning, you do not need to change and become a Christian in order for God to love you. Maybe you've heard that before, maybe you haven't, but you do not need to believe in Jesus for God to love you. He already loves you, he loves you just as you are, and he loves you more than you can imagine. Being soft clay is a post-production. But there is still a production, because from this basis of salvation, from this starting point, I find myself convicted and inspired to better myself, to avoid evil, and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. That's not a condemnation. That's a conviction that I find for myself and maybe you find it too, that when we reach this place where our burdens are lifted and sin is taken away, we find that it isn't an end point, but it's the start of a wonderful journey where we get to press in deeper and deeper every day, leaving the gunk and the dirt of our former life and stepping into something new. And so there is still, in me at least, that desire be soft clay in the hands of the Father, and to strive on towards being kinder, being more generous, being a better steward of my money, a better steward of my time, developing relationships, being healthier, all these things, not so that I become saved, but because I have been saved by a God who loves me, and it is a response of love. Continuing uh, Romans 7, which I read earlier, if we jump down to verse 21, Paul, still writing on the same topic, says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And in verse 25, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And straight from Romans 7, we jump straight into Romans 8, which continues with, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. That is our starting point. Becoming soft clay this morning is a post-production. Amen? Amen? All right. So the next point I have is that Becoming Soft Clay this year is a partnership project. A partnership project. Last year, a few of us from the church did first aid training at the church. It was great. I, that For me, it was the first time and it was really fun. I learned a lot, had fun, it was a great day. One of the things that I learned during this first aid training was that men choke to death more often than women. Mickey, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember the reason why? Because to we're too stubborn to ask for help. That's literally the reason why men choke to death more often than women, is because apparently when men are choking, they choke quietly. <laughs> they decide it's not worth the fuss of, of bothering their friends, like if they're in a public space, and, and so they won't ask for help. They'll try to deal with it and man through it, I guess. And I mean, sometimes it might work, but the statistics show <laughs> that is, that's what I learned. I learned it during first aid. I'm certified now, so you know it's the truth. <laughs> but that, that's what it is. How ridiculous. I mean, like, I'm sorry if, if you are a man here this morning and you have choked to death, you have my condolences. But <laughs> for the rest of us, it just seems a bit silly. Uh, <laughs> and so, the point being, sometimes as Christians, when we are striving on towards being better, doing better for God, for His kingdom, sometimes we can leave God out of the equation. <laughs> it happens. And again, it kind of becomes that salvation through works where we're just like, I I need to do this for you, God, and I'm going to power through and and get it done. And God's just waiting, saying, I've got the power you need. I've got the peace you need. I've got the victory you need. But, you know, you you can try if you want. (laughs) And he is ready and willing and loving to help us. In Psalm 28, verse 7, it reads, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. So as we intend to improve ourselves this year, to strive towards closer relationship, let us remember that God is our helper with us and he is the empowerer and the champion of our change. I also have up here to let others help. So this partnership project, it's got a few different partners involved. And one of them is other people. Friends, family, church members that you trust. The church especially. We are all here. This community was formed and founded by Jesus for the express purpose that we should not do it alone. The church is a community of saints in faith, striving towards Jesus together, picking each other up when we fall, encouraging and championing each other in our successes and our giftings. I know I wouldn't be up here on stage if other people hadn't championed me and, and advised me in different directions as I grew I know that whenever I have wanted to enact positive change in my life, I haven't always sought help, but I know that when I have sought accountability and advice and, and that encouragement from my friends, and again, you have a select few that you choose, I know that I've always had more, more success, whether it's been kicking a bad habit or starting a good one or whatever it's been. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9-10, to 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. And that's what we're here for. Jesus doesn't want us to walk this journey alone. God, back way back in Genesis, he didn't want Adam to walk the journey of life alone. And that's why we have more than one human. The last part of this partnership is us. God, others, and us. As the potter works with the clay, so too the clay is worked. If you've heard that expression, like to work the clay, or if you're uh, farming, like to work the soil, there is work. The soil, the clay, has some effort to put in. And so what does that look like? Understanding that God is our victor and our strength. Well, in many aspects, it's surrendering to him. I notice every week as the service team prays for the service right before we we enter in and we have the praise and worship, every week, in different words, the same heart is expressed. And that heart is, every week, God have your way. God, your will be done. God reign here on earth as in heaven. Reign in our lives as in heaven. And so that is the essence of soft clay. That we would remember and strive to come under God in humble surrender. To listen to his voice. And so if you're looking for active activities and actions, because this is, in a sort of weird way, it's an active surrender. It's not a passive surrender, it's an active surrender, because we can surrender by spending time with God in prayer and in his word and in worship, and there are many other spiritual disciplines besides. All these so that we might take our eyes from our problems and from ourselves and place them On God and that is our part to play in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 it reads for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them notice that we are created we are God's workmanship but there is still work and walk there's working and walking to be done and that is our privilege as we partner with God in this journey. And in 2 Timothy 3:16 to 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And So again, as we come into prayer, as we come into scripture, we're spending that time equipping ourselves, being equipped by the spirit as it works in us, and being molded by God as soft clay. Being soft clay this year is a post-production. It's a partnership project. Oh, Actually, one more point before I go on to the next one. Um, To give an example... Peter, in the boat, in the storm, we're familiar with the story, Jesus calls, well, he asks Jesus, if it's really you, call to me and and tell me to walk on the water, and Jesus calls to him. In this moment, as Peter is stepping out of the boat, it does not matter how much God empowers him to walk on water if he does not step out of the boat. God can give him all power to walk. He can give him all authority over the waves. He can give him immortality and superpowers and everything if he wants to. It's not going to make a motive difference if Peter doesn't step out of the boat and walk towards Jesus. And you'll notice that no matter any of the empowerment, which is necessary and helpful, (laughs) Peter would drown without it, But all of that, Peter doesn't get any closer to Jesus in the story. He doesn't get any closer until he takes a step. The distance does not reduce until the step is taken. And so let that be a reminder again and an image that God does give us the power and the authority and the victory. And he gives us authority over demons and illnesses But we still have steps to take if we want to see those demons flee, those chains come off, those illnesses leave. Steps not of our own strength, but steps humbly in the footsteps of our God. Next point. Becoming soft clay this year is a painful process. And this point... I probably need to spend the least amount of time on because I'm sure we are all familiar with the truth that enacting positive change with God or without God it hurts. It takes time, it takes effort, and it takes blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> Depending on the season sometimes a lot of tears. But it's a a law of nature, we actually find. In physics, we come across the principle of inertia, which says that an object that is at rest prefers to remain at rest, and it actually takes an effort to get that object to move. And in the same way, an object that is moving prefers to stay moving, and it takes effort to get it to stop. The, th- the point here being, it is the change that takes the effort. And to continue, we also find it in electromagnetism, in something called Lenz's Law, which I actually... It's, it's so cool when, when you see it in action. Um, for just me, maybe. But... <laughs> right, so the thing with Lenz's Law is when you introduce a magnetic field, to an electric circuit, the circuit will actually produce a current that slows down the approach of that magnet because it produces its own opposite magnetic field. Now, that's a lot of words, but when you see it in action, it's really cool because you can get, it doesn't even have to be a magnetic object like iron itself. Like, you can get an aluminum pipe, right? And you drop a pen through that pipe, and it's going to fall at the speed of gravity, right? Easy done. If you drop a magnet through that pipe, without touching the sides or without like, being hooked up to a battery or anything, you just drop that magnet through that pipe and it will fall slowly because the pipe is forcing its electrons around to actually slow the incoming magnetic field. It's amazing. It blows my mind. But again, the point being that it, there's a resistance to change. When when the new force, when the new magnetic field enters, like if it's just sitting there, then it's fine. But as soon as it starts moving closer or moving further away, there's a force that interacts. And lastly, and this one I find truest to life, is in chemistry, we find something called activation energy. Which, in short, means that for a lot of chemical reactions, you have to pump in a lot of energy for the reaction to start. And then once the reaction actually gets going, we often find it gives energy back out in the form of light and heat and sound and flame. If you can imagine, like, a combustion reaction, you have to, like, give it a spark and give it some energy for it to start, and then, you know, it's just going to burn up all the fuel and it's just going to go happy. And maybe this wasn't the most exciting part of the sermon for you, but... (laughs) I love these real-life examples and these scientific examples to say change is hard, not just for humans, but for everything. Change hurts. It takes effort. And that is still true under God. Believe me, it's a lot easier with God. I know that from experience. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. And Paul understood that and so he wrote that he struck blows to his body and he, and he underwent strict training as though he were an athlete. And let us not make light of that this year because sometimes we can look at certain scriptures, different ones at different times, and we just pass over them, understanding their message, but kind of diluting their potency a little bit. Paul is... Quite certain and serious here. He uses the example of like an Olympic athlete to say that this journey will have pressures and pains. It doesn't mean it's not worth running. It just means that we have to be aware that there's, there's going to be some, some things that have to get cut out, some steps that we need to take. If we imagine a master sculptor, we call uh, in the scripture, we hear that we are the master Masterpiece of God, uh, the work of his hands. And if you can imagine, some of you may have heard this image before in church, But a a sculptor chipping away at the stone with the chisel. Each strike of that chisel, that sharp blade, is A, it's going to hurt the stone, and B, it's taking something off, revealing the masterpiece underneath. And so if this year we have decided that positive change is worth the trouble, if we've decided by the conviction of the Spirit and the inspiration of Jesus and others in the faith, if we've decided that it is worth the trouble of getting closer to God, then let us put in the full effort. Because it's far better to put in the full effort and succeed than to put in half the effort and have to do it all over again. <laughs> because that's, that's a whole different pain. All right, that's, that's enough for that one. So I'll move on. Being soft clay this year is a personal pact. A personal pact. This to say, and I'll repeat the scripture that I read earlier in Isaiah 64, which says, Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the works of your hand. Do not be clay in the hands of multiple potters that's what this point is here for this morning we are clay in the hands of one potter one sculptor and his name is jesus but often the world with its voices media friends consumerism all blah 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 like the voices can get in the way And so, and I I know that many of you understand and have heard this point before, so let this be a reminder. A reminder to be vigilant of what voices are speaking into your life and what people and things and shows and whatever are molding you in this season and in this year. Because there will be some. I know that, yeah, we can, get in, we can get influenced by the world around us and sometimes change without realizing it. Sometimes we change intentionally, but we just have the wrong idea of where we're supposed to be going. <laughs> but another way that the world can, can influence us and, and shape us as clay is that we can get scared by the opinions of others and change to stick in with the crowd. When I was in year 10, my family took in a boarder for the year. Great guy, lovely guy, his name was Lawrence. He was from Britain. And during that year, my family underwent a change. And I don't even think we discussed it out loud. But because Lawrence was not a Christian, our family stopped saying grace with dinner out loud. Instead, we said it in our heads Is that a sin? No. Is that a negative change? Maybe. Is it just accommodating a stranger? Maybe. It's, well, it's for me and my family to reflect on, I suppose, because we're the ones that did it. I'm not saying, like, you always have to say grace out loud. But the main point we found, I found, was that after Lawrence had left, it took my family years and years to get back into the habit of saying grace together out loud. Years and years, we were just saying it in our heads. And for me, I felt like that was a step in the wrong direction. And that step had occurred, not because Lawrence had voiced an opinion, I don't to this day quite know what his opinion would have been. But it was because I perceived his opinion and I got scared of what he might think or if it might make him feel uncomfortable. Sometimes it can come from a good place, but it can still be a step backwards. The Apostle Peter found himself actually with quite a similar situation. In the book of Acts, he was on the forefront of positive change. He'd received a vision from God showing him, teaching him that all peoples, both Jew and Gentiles, had been made clean and could enter into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, quite against the the Jewish practice of the day and what people thought was good, he was meeting with Gentiles, eating with Gentiles, going into their homes, praying for them. All big no-nos. But he was Striking out from the way that things had been and following Jesus instead of the world. But then we find in Galatians 2 that Paul writes, When Cephas, who was Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, what I was just talking about. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Peter was subject to this kind of influence. And when... Those people came from James. Maybe they were people with status. Maybe they were people that he knew well and knew how Peter used to act because sometimes that can be the thing that holds us back is when people know who we are and know how, like, the mold that we sit in, like, it can be quite scary to break away from that and to show them that we're different. But Peter ended up shrinking back and Paul had to call it out of him, which is bringing me back to that partnership project point that it's good that Peter had someone like Paul who could tell it to him straight and say, look, man, you were doing well, but you've started to shrink back again. You need to get back on the horse, as they say sometimes. (laughs) And so being soft clay this year is a personal pact. Let only one voice shape your destiny and the way that you walk. And lastly, if I could get the worship team back up, please. Being soft clay this year, and this is very reiterative of my first point, but it's good that we land here. Being soft clay is a paid price, a paid price. We begin, and I've said it and I'll say it again, we begin the battle from a position of victory. In 1 Corinthians 15, 56 to 57, we read, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so... If you're sitting there and you're hearing everything I've said and it just goes in and comes out with the same response of, but I've tried it, but I've done it and it's not worked. I know all this already. Like I haven't exactly given you a best-selling 10-step program of how to better yourself. There are plenty of those out there if you want them, Christian and non-Christian, I don't quite know what I've given you to be honest, (laughs) but I know that it's what God has placed on my heart to share. And the key, the truth is, God is your victory. For positive change, which I, again, I am convicted to keep stepping, to keep running the race. And the key to that is that God has already done it on the cross. In C.S. Lewis's uh, series, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the book The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, we meet a young rascal named Eustace Scrub, and he's not very likable. And in one of the many adventures that take place in the book, Eustace uh, finds himself next to a hoard of dragon gold and treasure. And so he does what any young boy would do, and he takes it and he fills his pockets and he puts a bracelet on his arm. But there was a curse on either the gold or the island or him and his greed because the next thing you know, he's a dragon himself. And that which he thought would bring him joy and he thought would bring him further in life, all of this gold, all of this money, was the very thing that was causing him strife and pain because this bracelet was so tight on his arm, now the leg of a dragon, and it was digging in and drawing blood. The very thing that he thought would bring him life was bringing him death. And the book goes on a little bit. And one night, Eustace, still a dragon, he meets a lion named Aslan. And Aslan leads Eustace to a well to a a pool of water and Eustace sees the water and he sees that it's clean and pure and he thinks if I could just get in the water it will soothe my leg that has this bracelet on it it'll soothe my pain but Aslan tells him that before he can get in he first must undress Eustace is a bit confused at first but then he realizes he needs to get out of his dragon skin and he understands that dragons, maybe, they shed their skins like a snake. So he starts ripping and clawing, and it's painful, but he, he peels off this dragon's skin, and he steps out. But then he looks down, and he realises that he's still a dragon. And it's not even like a fresh, like a, like a new skin. It's, it's still old and gnarly and wrinkled. And so he does it again. And he undergoes the painful process again. And I think he does it three times before Aslan says to him, I must be the one to undress you. In other words, you cannot do it in your own strength. And Eustace looks at the lion and his big claws. And even though he's a dragon, he's quite quite intimidated by this lion. But there's no other option. So he lays down and he surrenders himself to the power and authority of the lion. And so Aslan begins to claw and he begins to rip. And Eustace says in the book that it is the most painful thing he's ever experienced. The most painful thing. But when he's done, when Aslan is done, Eustace steps out and he washes in the water he submerges himself and the book doesn't quite say what point he becomes a human but he does turn back into a boy he went into the water and he died to one way of life and he emerged clean new and alive to an entirely different way of living And this is, as far as I understand C.S. Lewis, this is an image of the waters of baptism. And the waters of baptism themselves are an image and a declaration of associating ourselves with the death and life of Jesus Christ. To know and declare that he is our Lord and that as we believe in him, And as we accept this forgiveness that he offers by his son, by Jesus dying on the cross, we ourselves die to our old way of living in the physical and the spiritual. And we arise to a new life, a new standing ground, a solid rock from which our change can begin. And and the greatest change has already happened. Hallelujah. And so, as we come back into a time of worship, I want you to remember that more than anything else, that being soft clay this year is a paid price. But maybe here this morning, that's not a price that you've had paid for you. Maybe you haven't said yes to a relationship with Jesus. I would like to give you that opportunity now. And maybe you have said yes to Jesus, but it's something that you feel you need to do again. And that's quite okay too. For the first time or the 10th time, the Bible says God holds no record of wrongs and that he wipes the slate clean. That's the kind of God that loves you. And so, if I could have everyone please close their eyes. If this morning the Spirit is stirring you, to say yes to Him and to say yes to beginning a life with Jesus. While everyone's eyes are closed, would you please raise your hand so that I can see it? Thank you, I see that hand. Thank you, I see those hands. I see those hands. Praise God, I see that hand. Know in this that it is the the best change. And I say that with all conviction and truth, that saying yes to Jesus is the best change. Does it take away all that pain? No, that was my point three. Pain is still with us. But we have a new strength to walk through it. And that strength is called Jesus. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. And everyone can say it along with me. And those, whether you raised your hand or whether you didn't, but you you feel like you should have, God sees you. And as we pray this prayer together, know that he sees you and he welcomes you into his arms with rejoicing and and celebration in heaven. Dear Heavenly Father, I see that I am a sinner and I see that I cannot fix myself on my own. But I believe that you are God And I believe in your son, Jesus, that you sent him to die on a cross and he rose again and he took my sin. And so I say yes to you today, God. I would like a relationship with you to begin a wonderful journey with you. And I ask that you would be with me every day. Guide my steps. Be my strength. Be my victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we get a round of applause for all the people who just made that decision? That's so amazing. I tell you, heaven is partying right now. The angels are partying right now. And I think it's fitting that we join them in worship. So if you're comfortable, why don't you stand with me? And we'll go back into a time of reflection and worship. And if you would like prayer for anything this morning, I'll be up the front and I'm always on hand to pray with you. Uh, And the rest of our prayer team will be up here as well. And if you did make that decision for the first time this morning and gave your life to God, I would love to have a chat with you if you come and see me. I would love to put a Bible in your hand if you don't have one and talk through any questions you may have. But let's focus again on God now. Let me just pray once more and then we'll get into it. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are God and you are good. I thank you that you have saved us and that you are my strength, our strength. This year, I do, I want to become closer to you I want to spend more time. I want to be on my knees more often than not. And so Lord God, I thank you that even as I ask. And for all of us now, I thank you that you empower us and you lead us to your cross, to the f- to to kneel at your feet. And so right now that's what we do. We position ourselves in surrender and we give you worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.